0: Gracious Lord, we do pray now as we listen to this word, we might be encouraged, we might be challenged, we might be humbled, so we are ready to obey the application of what we hear this morning. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. Jesus said to them, do, not bring, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued, with the measure you use will be the measure to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, it produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain, in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like... A mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet, when the plant planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples... He explained everything. We were looking last week at why Jesus used parables. And we saw from the parable of the sower that our Sunday school teachers hadn't always done us a favour. When I was growing up, we were told that parables used simple illustrations that the folk would know and understand and it made it easy for them to understand the gospel. That's not what Jesus says, is it? You see, when Jesus preaches, teaches the parable of the sower, even his disciples come to him and ask him about it. And Jesus actually quotes Isaiah chapter 6 that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Scary stuff? Yeah, in some ways. But on the other hand it makes a very good point. It makes a point that if anyone receives the word of God It is God's grace by his Holy Spirit. Just skip back before he made that quote, verse 11. He told them the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, the disciples, but those outside, everything is said in parables. So here we've got it. There's a strong element of grace when the word is preached. It is by God's grace that we are saved, isn't it? Think of what it says in Ephesians. It's not by works. It is by grace we have been saved. Not by works so that no one can boast. The faith that we're given to receive, even that is an act of grace. My dad was involved in D-Day. He was called up at, towards the end of the war and he served on uh, what was really a converted uh, landing craft. It had had a keel put on it. But um, it had this glorified name that it was a reconnaissance craft. But he was involved in D-Day. And I always remember what mum told me about that. He said that you were in a situation, they weren't doing much relaying of messages or anything like that at this time. They were just part of a huge number of ships. And a ship would draw up alongside them and another one would draw up on the other side and a load of troops would get off, clamber across the deck and get onto this other ship. (laughs) Now you're looking at this and you're in the middle of it. It's very hard to see what's going on. But, we know, don't we, that D-Day was a meticulously planned operation. If people were clambering from one ship to another, there was a good reason. It was to get them closer to the landing craft and get them onto the beaches or whatever. Somewhere, some months before, it had all been planned. And there's a sense, isn't there, in the planning that the battle was won very much on the drawing board. But that didn't mean D-Day didn't need to happen. It actually had to be carried out. Now, when Jesus preaches these parables, two of them we can identify instantly about being about God's kingdom. But what's the first about? Well, hopefully we we'll are look at that and we'll see how these parables link together in the end. Firstly, who is he speaking to? It says he's speaking to them. Well, that could be the disciples, because actually he's just been speaking to them and explaining the parable. But we also know, from the last part part of this passage, that it illustrates he was speaking to both the disciples and those in the crowd. So he's telling the parables, then presumably he's speaking to the disciples. Well, it's very easy to have points today, because there's three parables, three points, so I'm just going to call the points what the parables are. And the first one they refer to as the parable of the lamp. What are lamps for? Well, it's a fairly straightforward one, isn't it? He said to them, verse 21, Do you bring in a a lamp and put it under a bowl or bed. Instead, don't you put it on a stand? It's an obvious one, isn't it? Lamps are for giving light. That's what lamps are supposed to do. It would make no sense to light a lamp and then cover it. But there's something more going on here. Because it's quite interesting that the picture used here is illustrating the ministry of Christ. The phrase, do you bring in, or bring in, in the Greek means, comes. So it's very much illustrating something coming. What's it illustrating? Well, we can take a guess, can't we? But we could also look to scripture as well. How did Jesus refer to himself? In John uh, chapter 8 verse 12, we read this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light. Jesus is, go back to the start of John, John chapter 1 verse 1. It's the word, isn't it? He was with God. And was God. And later we read in that chapter, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the light, Jesus is the word. So we start to see what this parable is about. It's about the ministry of Christ receiving that word. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus repeats a phrase he used back in uh, verse 9. When he was preaching the parable of the sower, he who has ears, let him hear. There's a challenge there, isn't there? There was a challenge when he first used it to people. You see, the people in the crowd may have thought, that's a very interesting story. But Jesus is saying, don't listen on a superficial level. One of the things that drives me absolutely nuts is when there's been some issue, a serious theological issue, and you approach someone uh, about it, or they come to you, and they say, what do you think about this, and something. And you start talking to them, and you start saying, well, this is why it's serious, or this is why we should react against it, because this is very damaging to Scripture. And they go, well, I don't know about those things, I'll just have a simple faith. goodness sake, people, wake up. Wake up. That's why the church is in the, the position it is in this country today. Look across the pond... Some faithful churches, but there's also some fright. Just go on YouTube and look at some of the stuff that's going on. It's frightening, and they're big churches, and people are listening to it, and they're taken in by it. And I'm sure those people will go, "Well, I don't know. I just leave it up to Joel Osteen or you know, wherever." I have a simple faith. Jesus says, "Don't do that. Listen, hear." here on superficial le- level grapple with the word you know we're in a position in this country where a nation is going down the tube the bishop of oxford died very unexpectedly the other day now i'm very sorry for his family and everything like that I've seen several church leaders from around here go and say what a wonderful man he was. Oh, I I actually worked with him one time. He was one of the bishops who was pushing same-sex marriage. These are orthodox people, I hope. (laughs) I know some of them. I know what they believe. They do believe that marriage is the only right place for intimacy between a man and a woman. And they're all saying, oh, he was a lovely man and I, I once participated in that communical service with him. What message do we give out there when we not just cramp the gospel, but we blur its edges or maybe that's even too light? Jesus says, grapple with scripture. But the point is this, isn't it? Don't listen superficially. We see that again. Verse 24, consider carefully what you... Here, he continued, with the measure you use will be the measure to you. The gospel is absolutely no good if you do not claim it. The promises of God are no good if you do not live by them and claim them. You can have a poster on your wall with a gospel message on it. But if you don't believe it, It will do you no good. I remember some years ago, a fellow EFCC minister said, he had a lady come to him, she was worried about paranormal things or demonic possession in her house or something. And he said, right, I'm going to give you a Bible. She said, a Bible. He said, oh, I'll put it under my pillow. He said, don't put it under your pillow, read it. (laughs) Superficiality of the world. I mean, that's laughable, isn't it? But isn't that how people are? A little bit of religion, a little bit of this and a little bit of that to just comfort them and get them through the day. Jesus says, don't be like that. You will never see the benefits of it. Verse 24, 5. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even that will be given and taken from him. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? There is a question of developing faith by putting our trust in what God's word says. I can remember a really good example of this a lovely girl called Daniel. Oh she should be a young lady now. It was around about the time of the millennium in the church that Tracy and I were worshipping in. And as it was a millennium, we decided to knock on every door of the parish and offer a, um, a video which was basically about the work of Christ. You know, if people wanted it, they could have a video and if they wanted to follow up, they could. And she said to me afterwards, I was absolutely terrified at the idea of going knocking on the door. But she couldn't get enough of it after she'd done it once or twice. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really difficult. You never, because yeah, I knocked on, I had a good time on the doors the other day but Sometimes you knock on the door, you just don't know what to expect. I mean, if anyone has a go at me, I generally have a, a gentle prod back. that If Jesus is the Son of God and they've rejected him, where does, what does that mean? If God's actually spoken into this world, what does that mean? I don't go without a parting shot. But we will never develop faith unless we put our trust in God's promises. So that's about it, isn't it? it? It's about message being seen. Secondly, we get the parable of the growing seed. This is very clearly about the nature of the kingdom because how do we know? Well, Jesus says this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he talks about a farmer, doesn't he? Scattering seed. And we see there that it's God's initiative that the word goes out. It's not something we discover. Every other religion of some kind or other will talk about a search for God. You even get some, so I remember once a curate at my home church had to go to a day where it got all the clergy together, some, someone in the hierarchy of the church you know, got them together and I said, How was it like? He said, Oh, I'm desperate. He said, You know, we've got someone coming up and saying, We're standing on a dark beach in the dark, stormy skies, and we're shining a light out there looking for God. <laughs> that is not what the Bible teaches. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, brings the seed. And here's the thing, isn't it? It's active and it's growing. Whether we see it or not. And this is something I tell myself on days where we have very few people here. The word is active and we don't always see the results. I mean, listen to this, you know. Day or night, whether he sleeps or gets up, the sleep seed sprouts and grows, although he does not know how. The seed is the word of God. The farmer, you know, Jesus sort of in a sense mixes metaphors here. But the farmer doesn't know necessarily the mechanics of how a seed germinates in the soil. You know, we just know that it will come up at some point. And going back to my original illustration of my dad in the middle of detail, he couldn't tell what was going on but actually something constructive was being done which led to the battle being won. That's the point, isn't it? And the seed of the word, it works, doesn't it? The work of the Spirit is there. Whether The Spirit is sort of used by what we mean about what he says here or not, we don't know but we do say this all by itself the soil produces corn first the stalk, then the ear then the full grain in the ear work happens there is another agent at work there I can remember a, a pastor friend of mine his dad wasn't a Christian he gave him a bible he was very interested in reading it But as my pastor friend said, his dad didn't understand it. It takes the Holy Spirit to open the eyes to the work of the Lord. And that's what we need to pray here. You know, there may be a temptation sometimes to say, oh crumbs, I wish Keith was a bit more eloquent. Goodness knows, how you know. I'd hate to have him on the doorstep (laughs) because he trips over his words and does stuff stuff like that. Don't pray for that. You can pray for that, by the way. I'd I'd love to be more elegant, but pray for the Holy Spirit to go first. Pray for the Spirit to be at work. Believe you me, the refurbishment of this church is not going to be the answer to getting people in. It may help, it may stop a hindrance, as I'm convinced someone's going to put their foot through the floor one day and we're going to have a lawsuit, it would be rather good if they didn't. But, it is not the answer. It is the Spirit going before us. And if times are tough, and they are, don't come to me with any remedy other than the Word of God and the Spirit of God, because the two are completely different immersed in each other. I didn't want to say even linked. The word is spirit, breathe. Linked is not strong enough. The word is spirit, breathe. So when the word is preached, when it is preached accurately, in the right attitude, with prayer, the spirit will work. The spirit will work this morning. I guarantee it. I'm judging that most people here are converted, but it will work in some way. It will make someone who listens on the internet or here take a step further of understanding in their faith. Or they say, no, I've got to take that on board. Yes, I am being superficial about it. I do sort of nod wisely when scripture is done. And and then, you know, when it comes along, I panic because I haven't got grace in my life or I need to trust in the grace of God. The the Spirit will work in some way, but we need to pray for him to work in those bigger ways when the outpouring of the Spirit comes. What does John say when he's talking about Jesus and Nicodemus? That's where we had the reading. He says, "This verse eight of John three: the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone? It is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's pray for that work that is so often hidden, but can be seen. We can see the wind at action, can't we, by the motion of the trees? Pray that that might be seen here." in this church and in Stony. So we've (coughs) had two parables, one to go. The parable of the mustard seed. Now this is interesting, isn't it? It shows that the kingdom is not easy, or necessarily easy to see or find. He describes it like the mustard seed. Now, There are bigger plants. Jesus is generalising here. But certainly in the ancient Near East, the mustard seed and the plant that grew out of it, which was vast or big as the garden, one of the biggest garden plants around, would have been a notable thing. It's not necessarily easy to find. Yet it has a huge effect. Now I say a huge effect rather than it's easy to see when it grows. Because actually people don't see it. But some people do, don't they? Verse uh, 32. Yet it be planted, it be grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. I think that's interesting. Jesus is using a, an, uh, what we'd say an Old Testament illustration there. Think back to Daniel chapter 4. What does Nebuchadnezzar dream of, he dreams of a tree which the birds of the air come and settle in, now it's interesting Nebuchadnezzar would have had a fair idea what his dream was actually about, trees represented kingdoms in the ancient Near East, and it's the picture of his growth of his kingdom and its authority and how the nations were very much drawn in here, and Jesus is making that picture here isn't it, the birds of the air, they come and settle it is a multinational thing Jesus is talking about a kingdom of God that reaches beyond Israel. A believer's kingdom. Those who believe. It's vast. And take the progress of the early church, how quickly that grew. And think of the church today. Even if it is sadly sometimes in a terrible state, there would be a huge number still of Orthodox Christians in this world. They may not be in the majority, but they're still there. The point he's making is this. The kingdom is vast. Now we note, to conclude, he preached many similar parables It says he spoke to them as much as they could understand. Probably better translated, ESV has, as they were able to hear it. Again, this is the people in the crowd. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything, and that is the work of the Spirit in a believer's heart. That's a privilege that we can have. Two kit parables about the kingdom. But what about that first parable? Was that about the kingdom? Yes, it was. Because actually, it's teaching us that the kingdom must be seen in us. The message of the gospel has been imparted to us. Now, let's think. Because Mark actually is doing something here. He's linking, he's right back to his start of his gospel. What's the first words out of Jesus' mouth? Or the summing up that Mark gives of Jesus' preaching? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so we are to be those who are witness to the light of God's word. We are those who are to share and speak. And indeed preach the Gospel and the Gospel is about repenting. That's the start. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus and Jesus said repent and believe the good news. I find that very interesting that the first words when we get the Gospel proclaimed in Mark's Gospel is not a parable it's not a miracle. It's the essence of the saving power of the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Such is the nature of the kingdom of God. It's as elusive, isn't it? It's elusive if you do not know Christ. But it's great and glorious to those of us who do know. And take comfort and encouragement from that today as we sit in a very empty church the kingdom will be fully rea- realized one of my most fun essays i'm not someone who likes essays but the most fun essay i ever wrote for college <laughs> was on i got to think of the title it's a really fancy one how much In the present time, is the meritorial kingdom of Christ recognized? In other words, how do we see the kingdom? Is it fully realized? Listen to this. Because actually, the Bible tells us, not quite yet. Listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 22 to 26. And I'll probably explain a bit as I go. So we'll have little pauses for as in Adam all sin so in Christ all be made alive where Adam failed Christ succeeds in his obedience 23 but each in his own turn Christ the first fruits then when he comes those who belong to him I like that the first fruits the first fruits were offered Deuteronomy, I think Deuteronomy 26, yeah, Deuteronomy 26. The farmer was to offer his first fruits, and he brings some lush stalks to the priest, representing his harvest. It's like the farmer who rushes into the farm kitchen and say, "Look at the harvest!" As he puts a lovely bale or a lovely sheaf of corn down on the. Uh, table for the family to admire and look at how healthy and full it is he's not just talking about that, he's talking about the fields of the stuff out there which is what that says the picture is this isn't it when he comes for those who belong to him, those who are going to be harvested those who are the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God you see is vast isn't it Verse 23, but each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, as I said, you have know, just read it again, then the end will come, verse 24, when he hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, do you see this? It's a foregone conclusion, isn't it? Death is still there, isn't it? Verse 26 The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The destruction that Satan caused, the misery and heartache he caused by his temptation, where it looks like he strikes a sort of preemptive blow to God's plans. God reigns and God wins. That's the kingdom of God. Increasing, growing, and one day we'll be on the winning side if we know and love the Lord. Let's be those who are not superficial Christians. Let's be those who put our faith in the cross of Christ and say that substitute, when Jesus took my sin, was for me. And I'm truly sorry of my wrongdoing and commit my life to him. And then let's put our trust in Christ and let the light be seen in our witness. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for all that we've seen in your word this morning. We thank you for the challenges it lies down. We thank you that it teaches us that, in a sense, the kingdom of God is sometimes hard to see and seems elusive, and yet it is great and it is glorious. And Lord, we pray we'd live in the light of that. And our witness and our trust in you would be in the light of that. Amen.